0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. All right, if you have a Bible, open it with me to John chapter 11. John chapter... Eleven. Uh, I guess it was this past week, maybe it was the week before, I can't really remember exactly, but um, I was looking forward to going to my favorite restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants in Conway, it's called Bulgogi. You been to Bulgogi, anybody? You know what I'm talking about? It's so good. <laughs> if you haven't been, uh, come tell me, I'll take you this week, all right? Bulgogi is fantastic, it's so stinking good. And I went last week, I, it's been kind of a long morning, I think it was Monday, and um, kind of a long morning. I was really looking forward to it. Drive to Bulgogi, walk up to the front door, and there's a sign on the door that says, sorry for the inconvenience, we're closed. I've never seen that sign on their door before, but that changed my whole day, you know, like that was started off a Monday in a, in a very bad way. We're talking this morning about, about getting news that just kind of stops you in your tracks, getting news that, that kind of sets you in a bad Direction, And we get news like that all the time, don't we? Getting bad news happens to us. Maybe it's you got a letter uh, saying that you have jury duty, like, like I do next week, right? I got that letter. That's not fun. Maybe it's uh, getting a note from the principal that comes home and uh, talking about little Johnny's not doing well or he's in trouble in school. Uh, maybe, maybe we read that war is breaking out somewhere in our world that another country has invaded another country. Maybe we read about another mass shooting tragedy in our country, or maybe it's closer to home. Maybe it's a a cancer diagnosis or or some kind of medical situation in your family, or maybe it's news that a friend or a loved one has passed away. We all get bad news, don't we? We all get bad news, news that just stops us in our tracks. And what we're going to see this morning is Jesus did too. Jesus did too. He got bad news that stopped him in his tracks. In fact, chapter 11 of John opens and Jesus gets bad news. He gets very, very bad news. Two of his closest friends, Mary and Martha, send a note, send a letter to Jesus saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And they're talking about their friend Lazarus. They're talking about their brother, Mary and Martha's brother, Jesus' friend, Lazarus. And, um, you know, in this time, they didn't have medical help. They didn't have hospitals to go to or anything like that. So them saying he's sick was a serious deal. It's not like he had the flu or something like that, and he was just going to get over it. He was on his deathbed, right? And so this is bad. Jesus gets this letter that his friend Lazarus is dying. And I want you to look at verse 5 of chapter 11. It says, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. He loved them. John is very clear. He loved these three. That's why verse 6 makes no sense. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Does that make anybody else uncomfortable? Right? That, that Jesus' friend, the one that he loved, is sick, needs his help, and so Jesus decides to stay two more days right where he was, just didn't move. And we read that as readers going, Jesus, what are you doing like, they need you. You're the one, like, you make people who can't walk, walk. You give people sight who were born blind. Like, you have the power to do something here, and you just stay, right? And so if you understand the picture of this, what's happening, you got two sisters who are frantic. They don't know how to help their brother. They're in this scene. He's on his deathbed. If you've ever been around death, it's an uncomfortable Ugly situation. There's nothing comfortable about it, right? And and these sisters are facing that, and they do the only thing they know to do send a letter to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't show up. He just stays where he's at, just kicks back. He just stays there. And Lazarus is going to die. He is. He's going to die. And when Jesus finally goes to see them, both of the sisters, Martha and Mary, are both going to say to Jesus, Where were you? Like if you would have been here, you could have saved him. I'm confident that you could have saved him. And I think we probably resonate with that, don't we? Like we've probably all been in that place where we've gotten some bad news or we're walking through something that's extremely difficult and we're like, God, where are you? Like I know that you say you love me, I know that you say you'll never leave me or forsake me, but I feel very alone in this moment. I feel like if you were here, you could intervene, you could change this whole thing Where are you? And it's in those moments that we're kind of faced with a couple of questions. Does he care? And we're going to see that he does. And why doesn't he do something? And we're going to see that he will, right? See, Jesus really does love them, as John tells us in verse 5. He he loves them. And he's about to prove it. See, look back at verse 5 again. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, don't miss that. That It says, so, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. Your Bible may say, therefore. What he's saying here is because he loved them so much, he stayed right where he was. He stayed right there because he's got a plan and a purpose. He's about to show everyone who he is and what he's all about. In fact, he says that in verse 11. Jesus says, he says, our, he tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up, right? He knew exactly what he's going to do, and as readers, we're sitting there going, okay, great, like, he's finally on his way, like, he's going to go in, he's going to save the day, but the disciples didn't really understand what he was saying whenever he said that he was just asleep. They said, actually, like, well, sleep is a good thing if you're sick, you know, like, let him sleep it off. He'll wake up feeling better, and Jesus explicitly tells them in verse 14, no, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus has died. And then he says something that's very confusing. I'm glad. He says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. And now let's go to him. So there's a lot going on here that's confusing and it's hard to take. But in this moment, we see that Jesus kind of clues us in like, he has a purpose for all that's about to take place. But that doesn't minimize the pain in the situation, does it? There's still pain. In fact, I just think it's a kind of a side note that it's, it explicitly says Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, yet they still faced tragedy, death, sickness, and pain. You know, So just because you love Jesus and he loves you doesn't mean that you're exempt from facing things, but Jesus does have purpose in this, in this moment. By the time that Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days, all right? That's the context. That's, that's the scene. That's what's happening. Now I want us to read together. We're going to zoom in here on this section. Look at verse 32 with me. Chapter 11, verse 32. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? I want us to stop there for just a moment. I've got two observations for us out of this text this morning just two usually I have three points or something like that so just two this morning the first observation is this we see Jesus's presence in the pain Jesus's presence in the pain see this story is full of emotion it's full of emotion like up in the first few verses the disciples are nervous they don't want Jesus going back to Judea because, if you remember last week in chapter 10, when he said, I am the good shepherd, and he looked in the bad leader's faces and says, I'm different than you. I'm a good leader. I'm a good shepherd. Well, after that, it says they wanted to kill him. And, and chapter 10, verse 39 says, then they were trying again to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Jesus is all the time doing that. Like, people are trying to grab him, and he just he shakes them you know he breaks their ankles he would have been a great running back or something he's shifty he's hard to tackle right he's he's hard to get a hold of but they were wanting to kill him and so the disciples said let's not go back there because they're still after you Uh, in, in verse 16 Thomas one of the disciples is just he just kind of accepts it like he's scared he's nervous but he just kind of accepts it he's like all right well if he's going let's all go and die with him you know and so he's, he's feeling that way. And then we see the emotion of the sisters. They are grieving in a real way the, the loss of their brother. And then there's a whole crowd of mourners with them. Like this story is packed full of emotion. And then we see Jesus emotional as well. Jesus gets emotional. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled so he sees them crying and Jesus becomes overwhelmed as well maybe Jesus is a team crier you know what I'm talking about? anybody else a team crier like somebody's crying you just you just can't help it I'm, I'm that I'm a team puker I guess I don't know if I can talk about puke up here or not and so I'm not going to but maybe Jesus is a team crier and so they, they take Jesus to the tomb and he loses it he just breaks down it's a famous verse, verse thirty-five. Jesus wept. If you're somebody who's like, man, I, I just I can't seem to memorize scripture, but I wish I could. Start there. <laughs> John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in scripture, but it's also one of the deepest. See, our culture in the Western world says real men don't cry, doesn't it? Real men don't cry. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a very emotional kind of guy. Uh, it feels weird to kind of talk about emotions uh, in, this, in this way, because I'm not an emotional guy, I'm not a big crier, especially in happy moments. Like, I don't understand uh, crying in, in happy moments. Like, at our wedding, didn't shed a tear. Uh, all three kids were born, and I'm just like, what's up, baby? You know, just, I, just don't, I just don't cry, especially in happy moments. I think the last good cry that I had uh, was the day that Kobe Bryant died? That that shook me up. I did not like that at all. But I don't cry a lot, you know. And maybe you don't either. Maybe you're sitting there going, "Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not a crier. I don't do that. I don't really show emotion." Or maybe you're sitting there going, "I love to cry. I'm a good crier. It's one of the things I'm best at." Right. And so wherever you are in that spectrum, I want us to see that showing emotion is not a bad thing. Like Jesus is crying. He's weeping. And it's kind of confusing because he's already told us he knows what he's gonna do, right? In verse 11, he says, I'm going to wake him up. So why does he stop to cry? Is he wasting emotion? Is he pandering in some kind of way? Like what's going on here? Why is he crying? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think first, I think he's broken over sin. Like he's standing there and and he is recognizing he's broken over the fact that this death should not be. He's, in fact, the words that are used here seem to kind of point to Jesus being almost angry at what's happened. He's angry at this whole thing and what's caused it, which is sin. So you need to know that, that death was never a part of their original plans. Like when God created it all, death and pain and sorrow and all that, those are, are, are a result of sin. Jesus didn't create those things. He didn't intend for those Things And so whenever it's in this moment, he's just broken over it. John 10, 10, he's already told us last week, he says, I've come to bring life and life in abundance. The thief is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'm different. I've come to bring life. And so he's broken over the fact that sin exists and that all the ramifications of sin exist in our world. And he breaks down and he shows emotion. He shows emotion. See, I think we... Maybe that feels weird. Maybe it feels weird to, to show emotion, to be broken over sin. I think we, I think we get kind of weird about showing emotion, especially in our Christian walk or, or especially in church, right, as Baptists. Like, we're, we're called the frozen chosen. Have you ever heard, heard that? Like, we just don't do well with emotion. And, and I wanna be clear, I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about just emotion for emotion's sake with no real grounding and something that could be labeled as manipulation. Right? I'm not talking about that. I grew up going to church camp, and we always used to joke that Thursday night was cry night because uh, you know, everybody stays up late every night, and everybody's tired and exhausted, and they're crying, and then everybody gives their life to foreign missions on Thursday night. That's cry night. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. But emotion that is rooted in the gospel is a good thing. Emotion that is rooted in the gospel should exist. In fact, I would say if you're never moved by the word of God, if you're never excited by it, if you're never wowed by it, if you're never broken over the sin in your life and the things that it exposes, you need to check your spiritual pulse. Emotion that is rooted in the gospel should exist. Maybe you've been on Facebook or Twitter or something over the last few weeks and you've seen this thing happening at Asbury University, right? and um, there's a A revival of some kind taking place and at least that's what people are are labeling it and they're people are debating and they're trying to figure out is that real revival or is it not you know people get um, get um, uncomfortable seeing students like jumping around or crying or praying or or doing different things like I don't know that seems kind of wonky is that real and I don't know I tend to think it probably is I have a pastor friend who visited Asbury last week, and and this is kind of what he said to the whole debate on, is it emotionalism or is it real? Is it gospel-centered? Is it real emotion? He said this, does emotion move the students? I'm sure it did, but emotions did not get them to this point. The main thing that brought them to this point was deep prayer and repentance. They're praying at the altar. They're praying in the aisles. They're praying in groups outside. And see, that's that's the truth of the whole thing. Revival comes through brokenness and repentance. And I think it's worth asking ourselves, when was the last time you were broken over your sin? When was the last time you were actually broken over the sin in your life? If you want revival in your own life and in our church, it only comes through brokenness over sin and repentance. That's how it comes. And so in this moment, we see Jesus was broken over sin and the destruction that it leaves in its path. He was broken. But he was also broken on a personal level. So he's broken over sin, and I think he's also broken for his friends. Like the crowd could obviously see it. Verse 36 says they were like, obviously he loved him. <laughs> like obviously th- this is real. He's broken for his friends. See, he feels the pain of losing a friend And I think he feels the pain of these two sisters who have just lost a brother. And Jesus steps into it. In this moment, he's showing us what it looks like to be a real person who's able to empathize and love and minister to people who are walking through deep pain. And Jesus enters into their grief. He enters into their grief. And the application point for us is we can't be afraid to enter other people's pain. Like we're uncomfortable with, with hard things, aren't we? We're, un- we're uncomfortable with real. We're uncomfortable with struggles. We're uncomfortable with pain. Just think about how weird it gets when you ask somebody how they're doing and they really start to tell you, you know? Like it's uncomfortable. We're just not good at it. We would rather stay surface level. We'd rather just kind of avoid it all. But as the family of God, as people who are children of God, as followers of Christ, we've got to get better about carrying each other's burdens. We've got to get better about feeling the weight of it with others. That's why I talk about all the time the importance of small groups. Small groups exist so that we can pick up the load for one another and link arms and walk side by side with a group of believers because we're going to walk through hard stuff. So I would ask small groups, how are you doing in this? Are you entering into the grief and the pain of those in your group? Are you entering into their pain? Are you loving them? Are you linking arms, trying to pick them up, trying to carry some of the load with them? Romans 12, 15 says that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Like it is a calling, it's an obligation, it's a duty as believers to walk alongside brothers and sisters in their pain. We don't shy away from it. Jesus joins them in their pain. So think about how much that means to these sisters. Because they were just thinking that he didn't care at all. Right? He stayed an extra two days after he got the letter. He even told his disciples, I'm glad it, I'm glad I wasn't there. Right? And so they're thinking he doesn't care at all. They both come crying to him saying, if you just would have been here. Right? But now they can see it on his face that he's not okay with the pain. He's not okay with it. He deeply loved them, verse five says. And so Christian, I want you to know as a follower of Jesus, whatever it is that you're walking through, man, he loves you just as deeply as he loves these three. And he's not okay with the pain that you're facing either. He's not, he's with you and he feels with you. Hebrews 4.15 says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, we have a king who has been through it. He's not a fan of it. Like he's not okay with the things that we're walking through. He's not okay with the, the ramifications of sin and the struggles that we face in this world. It breaks his heart. He's, he's not okay. And you just need to know that in the end, he promises he's going to make it all new. And at the tomb of his friend, we see Jesus deeply cares. And I think that ministers to our own soul that Jesus does care, that he is present in the pain, but not only is he present in the pain, but he does something about it. He fixes it, right? Look at verse 38 with me. It says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was laying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said, Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face unwrapped, face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. That's wild. Right? That, that, that is wild. So the first observation was Jesus' presence in the pain. Finally, number two, Jesus' power over death. That's what we see here. We see Jesus' power over death. Like, we've got to see this scene, right? You've probably heard this story, taught in Sunday school growing up or or something like that, and you're just kind of numb to the fact that he's like, yeah, and then he said Lazarus come out and he came out and he was alive. (laughs) No. We've got to see the picture of what's happening here. It says Jesus is deeply moved again. They come to his his tomb. It's, it's It's a cave with a rock rolled in front of it. And Jesus says remove the stone. And Martha speaks up. and says, Lord, he's already been dead for four days. There's going to be a smell. In fact, if you use the King James version, it, she says, he stinketh, which I think is hilarious, right? I'm going to start using that on my kids with their room and stuff. Your room stinketh, you know? But that's what she's saying. See, they didn't embalm bodies. They just would cover them in perfume whenever they died. And this is a hot, humid climate He's been in there for four days. His body has started to decompose. There's gonna be a smell. That's what she's saying. Like it's too, it's, it's too far gone. He's dead, dead. And Jesus says, just believe. And we know that she does because if, if, if the sisters don't agree to it, the stone isn't rolled away. That's the only way that the stone is rolled away in this moment. He says, just believe. They have just enough trust, just enough belief to, to say, okay, I, I trust you. And then Jesus prays, and he kind of reveals the whole point of all this so that those standing around and watching would believe. So that they might believe. And then he says three words Lazarus, come out. Like he calls him by name, like he calls him specifically. Augustine once said that if Jesus had not used his name, then all of the dead would have come out of all the graves in that moment, right? But he specifically calls Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And in this moment, he's proving what he already said in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 25, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. He's saying, I am God, and you're about to to see it. You're about to see it. And then verse 44 is a roller coaster of a verse. Like, Like, don't gloss over this. Like, don't ever come to Scripture and just kind of read it with a straight face and whatever, you know, no emotion to it at all. That's a crazy verse. Verse 44. That's insane. Try to picture it. it. Says that the dead man came out. <laughs> That's that fragment alone. The dead man came out. It's shocking. Never seen anything like this before. And then it says he comes out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. It's like the Walking Dead or something, like zombie kind of like. What is going on here? Like this dude walks out of the tomb and he's still covered in all of the, the grave clothes and the people are shocked, their mouths are hanging open. I would have been running away probably. Like that's wild, what just happened? And then it gets a little crazier. Jesus says, "Well, help him take off the grave clothes, unwrap him, let him go. He's not dead anymore." let's take these grave clothes off of him. Let's take, like, he's not, take off the grave clothes. And I just had this thought as I was studying this week that that's exactly what we do in our small groups. Like, that's exactly what we do in community, that, that, that grave clothes are best removed in community. Scripture talks about that we are dead to sin, we are dead to our former life, and in community, we walk together. And, and those grave clothes begin to come off as we walk together towards Jesus together but the moment that Lazarus comes out this extremely emotional scene full of brokenness, sorrow tears, mourning loud crying immediately all that stops there's no longer sorrow pain, crying Well, now it's joy now it's excitement now, now it's, it's a completely different environment. No more crying, no more pain, no more grief, because death has been replaced with life. Death has been replaced with life. And that was the whole point in all of this. That Jesus is, is showing to a watching world his power over death. He's given them just a glimpse just a glimpse of his power over death. And this tomb that he's standing in front of is just pointing to his own, where he will finally and completely defeat death. See, the disciples, they were afraid. Up in the first few verses, verse eight, they were afraid that Jesus was walking to his own death if he goes back to see Lazarus. And he was. Because of this, Look at, look at John eleven fifty three. 53. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. They plotted to kill him. Less than two weeks from this moment, Jesus would be placed in his own tomb with a rock rolled over the front of it. And like Lazarus, he's gonna walk out of that tomb alive, proving that he's God and proving that he has power over sin and death forever. See his death, scripture talks about defeats death. That's what Hebrews 2:14 says, that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free all those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. His death defeats death and his life brings us life. That is the message of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that says that you and I Are dead in our trespasses and sin. That's the truth of it. Our sin separates us from God. We are like dead men walking, spiritually dead in our sin. But verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he has for us, he made us alive with Christ Jesus. We are dead people, but Christ makes us alive. Through the cross, through the empty grave, he paid the sacrifice that your sin and my sin demanded. They put him in a tomb because he was dead, and three days later, he came out of there alive. And when he does, he extends the invitation to, to all of us to have life, to walk out of our own spiritual tomb into eternal life with him. And when we do, Christians we say 1 Corinthians 15:55 where o oh, death is your victory where o oh, death is your sting like it doesn't have a hold of us anymore the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ so death on this earth is a reality like every single person in this room will one day pass on from this life. Every single one of us, it's, it's, it's a reality. And maybe you're facing death's ugly face now. Like maybe a loved one or a diagnosis or something, like maybe you're facing it now. And I know that it's hard and I know that it causes pain and it causes separation and it causes grief and it's tough. And this scripture shows us that it's good to grieve. It's good to weep. But as followers of Jesus, we know that we have hope because he has ultimate power over life and death. As Tyler comes back up, I want to point your eyes to what I believe is the, is the main thesis verse of of this whole passage, verse 25. Look at that with me, John 11:25 25. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Famous I am statement of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me Even if he dies on this earth, he's going to live. See, again, we're all going to face death, but the good news of the gospel is that those who trust in Jesus will have eternal life. Eternal life. That's what scripture talks about, that after you and I die on this earth, that's not the end. The Bible talks about two realities. There's a place called heaven that is very real, and Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right? and heaven is a place where god's presence exists in all of its goodness, all of its love, all of its mercy. It's a place of no t- no no crying, no tears, no weeping. But then the other reality is a place called hell. And Jesus actually talks more about it than he does heaven in scripture. It's a very real place. And hell isn't a place where there's no presence of God. Hell is a place where it's the fullness of the presence of God's wrath. It's not a pleasant place. It's a place where all of the good things of God don't exist. And Jesus is saying, all those who believe in him even if they die on this earth, they're gonna have life. And so the question is, do you believe? That's what Jesus asks. Do you believe? It's the most important question that every single person has to wrestle with. Do you believe? That's been the whole point of all of this. He tells his disciples up in verse 15, I'm glad that I wasn't there, why? so that you may believe. He tells in his prayer before God, he, he, he says, I, I'm praying so that the crowd standing around me, he says, so that they may believe. And I've told you every week in this series of John that the point of John writing this gospel to us, John 20, 31, John says, I'm writing all of this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, well, that you would have life so that you would believe. And the result of this story, verse 45, says many who came and saw believed. (laughs) They believed. And so right now, I believe that Jesus is calling spiritually dead people to life. I believe that he's calling people to life. Last week in this service, we had two people raise their hand and indicate that, yeah, that's me. He's calling my name and I'm stepping from death into life. And so the question is, is will you hear his voice and will you walk from death into life? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.